0: I, I want to just pose the question of, like, replay a scenario that actually happened to me two nights ago, and I want to know, would you ever do this? Okay. That's what I want you to think about when you're listening to this. Okay. Um, there's a little bit of lead up. So, Bess, my partner, went to college 10 years ago at this point. A couple weeks ago, she gets a message from somebody who she knew like peripherally at college. Like they knew each other from freshman year. They were in the same dorm, but they were not in the same friend group. They were not in the same classes, not the same major. He was just like a person that was around, you know, a a familiar face because you live in the same building. You're both 18. She had no relationship with this guy through college, after college, or now, you know what I mean? Just one of those people that (laughs) existed. Mm -hmm. He reaches out to her on LinkedIn of all places. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's just like, <laughs> what the, like, like, A, like, she's remembering, like, who the fuck is this guy? But also just, like, weird fucking move, right? And she's like, uh-huh. is he trying to slide in my DMs, whatever? And I was like, I don't know, I'm just, like, ask him, like, what the fuck is up? Uh-huh.
1: Uh,
0: and, and, you know, turns out he's just really adamant about hanging out. And and she's doing all the classic dodges, like, like, you know, they make plans, like, oh, I can't, like, oh, they're going to get coffee, like, oh, something came up, you know? Uh-huh. And finally, she's like, okay, Eli, like, I really don't. <laughs> I don't think I can hold this guy off anymore. <laughs> he's like trying to come to dinner one night this week. At your, at your house? At my house. Okay. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. Just like get it on the calendar. Like don't sweat it. Like we'll cook dinner. It'll be fine. Like, yeah, it's sort of a random person, but like whatever. Yeah. Uh, so this was yesterday, Tuesday, literally the day he was coming over. And he's texting her throughout the day. And like, he's like, you know, what can I bring? And we're like, you know, nothing huge. Like, we're, we're handling food. Like, bring a salad. Bring a, bring a vegetable side. You know, don't, mm-hmm. don't stress on this, but, like, you know, bring us up. And he's like, okay, I'll bring LaCroix. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, okay. He, he either cannot read or cannot cook. <laughs> One of the two <laughs> or both. Mm-hmm. Um, so that happens during the day. Fast forward to, like, you know, 15 minutes before I'm at home. I'm cooking dinner. Bess gets a text from him. This is what it says verbatim. Fifteen minutes before. Keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Can I bring a plus one? That's what huh. the text said. Can I bring a plus one? And so Bess is texting me like, literally, what? Like, yeah. Like, damn, the balls on this dude. And I was like, look, this is already a wild card night. <laughs> like, why not up the ante? Fuck it. Say uh-huh. yes. I. I was like, say yes. Like, I do not care. Yeah. We have enough food. Like, who? Like, who knows what <laughs> this is going to be. And so he brings somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out I was meeting him for the first time when he showed up in my house. Mm-hmm. And I met the woman he brought for the very first time when she showed up in my house. Right. And it turns out they had met for the very first time five hours ago. What? Because this was a Tinder date. They met on Tinder that day. She's a flight attendant from Florida. Uh, <laughs> You ready for the kicker? Yeah. He didn't bring LaCroix.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. So he he truly didn't do anything that was like no. set up for him to do.
0: No. Would you ever bring a plus one to like a wild card dinner that you have kind of wiggled your way into?
1: I don't know, man. That's a pretty fucking good prank. <laughs> <laughs> like wow if, like because he doesn't know you right and like no. i guess he barely knows best yeah like at least on like a closeness level mm-hmm. so dude i don't know that i think that's hilarious and i applaud him wow. i don't know if i c- if i could do that but
0: yeah so how did it go though <laughs> i mean dude like i'm gonna be honest like it was weird specifically because he like couldn't talk about anything but college and it's like Uh, those are not the conversations anybody wants to have. Like I don't want to talk about your freshman year dorm room or all these random people you haven't thought about or like the time you woke up in your own vomit. Like just in general, in the same way, like I'm not trying to reminisce about high school. Right? Like he was like full on reminiscing. Uh, And like both me and the the woman he brought who did not go to college there are just kind of like automatically, like all these places you're referencing, like we have no knowledge of this right like you are not part of that conversation yeah yeah, yeah. so like it was fine mm-hmm. but all, at the end i was like you know i'm i'm like not itching to like hang out with that person again right um yeah so that i mean that's how it went I, honestly though uh the woman mm-hmm. dude she she was really cool and like totally was able to hang and was like very aware of all of these dynamics of like, I am, she, she, like she knew she was a truly random person. And that was sort of like level two of randomness uh-huh. and like played it totally cool. Um, I'm not, nice. you know, I'm also not like trying to be her friend. Like they both live in Chicago. Right. But I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm okay to exist separately from these people.
1: Yeah. So how long ago was this yesterday? Last night. Wow. Okay. So what are your predictions for like the prognosis of, him and Bess, like with the quote unquote reconnection is it is this all but gone she started
0: at the point of having no interest to reconnect yeah yeah and i would say she's only firmly there which i i like think is okay i think like we are allowed to like
1: not oh my god you know you're that's beyond okay yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 man so that was my night the only way that could have gone worse for you is if it was like talking about high school
0: oh my god i know and but dude true story the dude doesn't know how to cook he told us the whole story how he was dating somebody for like six years uh-huh. and how she like would not let him cook because he was so bad <laughs> and so like the dude has no idea how to cook like i made banh mi's last night and he was like i've never had a Bon me." wow and i also made eggplant for the side and he was like he was like how do you cook eggplant so you and I both just watched the Bear. Yes, like probably a lot of people
1: have. Yes, my friend Alexi told me to watch it. Eli's and my friend Molly told me to watch it. Both of them several times were like, "You got to watch this," and I was like, "Dope." Alexi was like, "Oh, the show takes place in Chicago, and it's about Italian beef." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> "And I was like, fuck! I want some Italian beef. Uh, I hate that." you Eli right now if you wanted to could like go get some because that's that's super fucked
0: I could get a cake shake from Portillo's well Portillo's uh, I could get a...
1: overrated AF can we agree
0: I mean I would go to many other places before Portillo's but I would not be mad if I was at a Portillo's sure and I was sure. eating a, a big beef fully dipped extra hot peppers Dude. add cheese
1: are you JK and me like okay okay we got to cut we got to cut there I... like <laughs> that was NSFW <laughs> There's only so much I can take. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, so I just had like a bunch of recommendations and that was it. And so I watched it. Um, we'll get into that. But yeah, tell me about how you, how you came into the show.
0: Yeah. So like Owen, I was getting wrecked to the show left and right. Um, and there's all the talk in like, you know, the service world of like, I think generally people are like, yeah, this is like not inaccurate. You know, it like totally veers towards accurate. Um and so in my head, I you know, I worked in the service industry for like eight years. I did not like I was not like a cook on a line, um, but I worked in like coffee and I worked at places that were full restaurants. So like we were we were, you know, part of the kitchen and were on brunch service and shit like that and like we were a team with the kitchen and everything. Um So, like, I understand, like, some elements. Like, I have my own stories from, like, those days. Like, Mm -hmm. a short one being when I was, like, 19, I had my first, what I thought was, like, big boy job in downtown Dallas. Mm -hmm. And I was on the morning shift. So, like, 6 a.m. to, like, 1 uh, weekdays. I was in college, and I was just skipping all of my classes to go. where I would get up at 5, drive 45 minutes to Dallas, and, like, just work.
1: What place was that at?
0: It was called Ascension. Ascension. It still exists. Right. Yeah. Um, I worked it, it. I worked there when it was only, it, there was the only one. Now there's like 10, but this was like just a standalone spot. The owner was absolutely batshit, whack, horrible person. But they had a full kitchen, you know, worked a lot of brunch services and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but one time I knew that one of my coworkers would go into the walk-in and, you know, grab some bites to eat. And, you know, it wasn't a big deal, whatever, like snacks and food here and there, you know, probably should not have done it. But like no one gave a shit. Right. Right. Uh, And he was like, dude, there are meatballs in the walk. in I was like, I'm trying to eat a meatball.
1: (laughs) Were were these for service?
0: Yeah, they were for service. I I should not have been eating them. He should not have been eating them. But uh, I was like, I'm eating eat meatball. Like the kitchen guys, we were chill. Like they're not worried about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, you just, like, make stuff for your coworkers, anyways. That's just... All the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: Like, food sharing, drink sharing, extremely normal. Yeah. Um, And I just, like, went into the walk-in. They had a sheet tray with, like, I don't know, 50, 60 (laughs) meatballs. They were small meatballs. A bunch of meatballs on them. I just, like, grabbed, like, two and, like, walked out. I wish we had someone, like, animating these conversations. Dude, I know. (laughs) Just, like, meek little Eli walking in there. And um, What what did your hair look
1: like at that point in your life? (sighs)
0: Honestly, like, probably pretty close to what it does now also i got a haircut this morning so um, again didn't
1: you like just get a haircut okay yeah digressing
0: okay okay i get a meatball uh the boss comes in and i do not know how but walked into the walk-in and knew somebody had eaten the balls like (laughs) i I have no fucking idea but he must have counted and been like i know we have this (laughs) many balls now we only have 58 (laughs) not 60 and he just went off And my coworker, who was like older than me, like totally took the fall. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was like, he was like, I ate the meatballs, (laughs) which like was partially true. Like he did eat some balls, but I also ate some balls, but he like totally shielded me. And I was like, wow, man, you, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, only other story I have is one time a guy ordered a Bailey's cappuccino. So espresso (laughs) and four ounces of Bailey's that that we steamed on a steam wand of an espresso machine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I made a fucking Bailey's cappuccino that I steamed and poured into espresso. Yeah. No shame.
1: I I wish they could see my face right now. Yeah. I am in shock. That shit was probably nasty. Fake dairy or like, you know. Yeah, um, but I was I was kind of more concerned for like the health of the steam wand. But yeah, oh pff, whatever. <laughs> so, um, you know, my whole
0: career before the job I have now was like in the service industry. I, mm-hmm. for most of that, was pretty adamant about like this is the industry that I'm going to be in. So you know, I, I had I had my own set of experiences, mm-hmm. not comprehensive, but you know, spent the better part of a decade working in service. Um, so that, that yeah, that was kind of all I had going in. I, what about the Chicago piece, the, the TV show in Chicago piece? Oh, I mean, like, there are a lot of dynamics that can be, like, used against Chicago. And a lot of... Tropes. Tropes, yes. Um, tropes that really villainize the South Side, right? That's, like, the low-hanging fruit is, like, the South Side is a dangerous... Yeah. Right? Pe- people who don't actually think for themselves very easily think that and then if they have a lot of money they make it into full tv shows about the south side being dangerous and it's like yeah okay that's extremely misleading and inaccurate um but then there's kind of the other side of like a lot of shows that are made in chicago which feel a little more like city-wide are like really just downtown and mm-hmm. i don't know like downtown river north shit like i do not hang out there like Pretty much everybody I know does not go to downtown. Right. I think I know one person who lives there, and I know that they are not, like, stoked about it. Like, that is really a different crowd. So, like, that is just different, you know? Downtown Chicago, it is very rare that we're there. So, uh, it was kind of like, which side are they going to take? Are they going to take the side of, like, (laughs) where people who villainize the South Side, or we're going to take the side of, like, Chicago is actually only downtown, and that's it?
1: Right. Like, oh, let's try to make this seem as much like New York as we can. Yes. Yes.
0: When it's like nobody is, you know, going to like lower whacker to hang out. Yeah, That is not a thing people do. Yeah. So portraying just, you know, versions of Chicago
1: that are stylized and not real. So that's what I went into. One thought I had after hearing that it was a show about Italian beef that really stuck with me throughout the entirety of like me watching the show was like, Regardless of even the fact that it's in Chicago, I think this idea or at least the setting of this show being in like a specific like regional food restaurant in a city that's not New York or not LA, that feels to me like if I were the writer of that show, that feels like a hard sell. Mm. And I guess because of that, I'm a little more impressed with the overall like fact that this thing even exists now. Mm. Literally any show that you want to float about like manhattan or like brooklyn police officers or whatever that shit gets on the air like that and the same i would say the same for tv shows that take place in chicago which focus on the fire department because like that's like a huge kind of i don't even know what you'd call it like subculture maybe not the perfect word but growing up outside of chicago the only shows i ever saw advertised about chicago were maybe like a police show and like a few fire department shows. Oh, yeah. So just the fact that the show is what it is in terms of like setting is impressive to me almost.
0: Um, Okay, I actually have a lot of thoughts on that. Okay. Um, This is something I think about all the time is like when we see something, let's just use a movie or a TV show for, for the example. Like you are seeing the end result of, like, so many things. Not not even talking about the production. Okay, let's go even before that. Like, So before a movie is made, most likely there's a script. Before there's even a script, there is, like, an idea. And at some point between idea and production, somewhere in there is, like, funding. Yes. Right? Or there is already funding and they just buy a script straight up. But, like, right. when... Especially like distribution hubs like Netflix, FX, or like streaming platforms, Mm -hmm. when they are like working on their programming, they rank. Everything not only by, like, the demographic viewer, who is going to watch this and what percent of our our members are that demographic, Mm -hmm. and by budget level. Is this, Mm -hmm. you know, a $200 million effort? Is this a $1 million effort? And then they they sort of band all of the, like, budgets together. So the big budget shit, which... mm -hmm at the end of the day, you have less of, right? Cause each one takes more money. Right. And then they ha- you have the middle budget shit. And then you have like the super, super low budget shit, which realistically mm-hmm. you can have more of. Right. But yeah. when I see this show, I see, okay, eight episodes, every episode is, you know, 26 to 28 minutes, except the finale, which is, which is fair. Yeah. Uh, it was marketed as a one-off and none of the actors other than the lead. I mean, everybody else actually had careers. Like Sydney is like a, pretty popular voice actor um on like big mouth and stuff but like everybody else pretty minor especially um the baker he he's like part of um mm-hmm. odd future i'm unsure if he has any acting background what i'm trying to say is this production probably didn't cost that mm-hmm. much in yeah total of like everything for example fx has their hands in right Which means there are a couple of ways for the higher ups to pitch this. And so I'm thinking like, yeah, I totally agree with you. The idea is potentially a little niche, Mm -hmm. but the risk is lower once it sort of gets like put into almost what I would want to call like a stock portfolio. Yeah. Right. Like if if you have one stock that really doesn't perform well, but you have 2000, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So like the money that goes in is weighed differently. And because it's going on a streaming platform, you don't have to worry about people tuning in at a certain time. So you're not vying for like somebody's uh, schedule, Right. right? You're not vying for after dinner or like after work or in the morning. And because you are kind of like billing this with like one person, you can get away with paying fresh actors less money, I'm not justifying that, but I'm saying like, okay, you have a cast of like nine folks that you've never heard of. Okay, that's sick. They're getting a chance. But don't forget that that means they're cheaper. Right. They are costing the studio less. Yeah, And so when you factor in all of those things, in my head, I'm like, the bear actually being great, yes, is a huge effort to like the writers, the actors, and the production, but also is just as up to chance as any of the other things that FX is producing that is within the same wheelhouse, that is a short limited series, has short episodes, has a cast of mostly fresh faces. Any of these things could have taken off. And so, yeah, I mean, that is like...
1: No, I think you're totally right. Like what I'm realizing as you say this is like, I'm not actually as surprised that like the idea happened at all. It's unexpected that this idea that, you know, geographically topically has been close to you and me it's unexpected that something like that Mm. gets so big and so recognized Mm -hmm. fair yeah that makes sense i guess the one exception to is josh bernthal for like what four scenes or something who the mikey oh yeah and yeah the punisher mm, the punisher true and um
0: (laughs) fucking cicero yes cicero and maddie matheson yeah, that I was really surprised <laughs> Hilarious. It. But okay, like let's be real. Like they paid Maddie Matheson something. He was a co-producer. Yeah. Uh he probably didn't get paid very much for like the actual acting time. Um so like as yeah. far as like a budget goes, which at a very high level, that is what production companies are looking at. They are looking at budgets right. and they're looking at risk.
1: Right. What is a safe bet? Yes.
0: Or what is a bet that just like is okay if it plummets, right?
1: Yeah. It's like hedging your bets, I guess.
0: Oh, but I feel like there's also now I I wouldn't even call this a genre or a subgenre, but like mm-hmm. I feel like it is there is some kind of conscious idea going around. This is a total hypothesis by the way, but like mm-hmm. I feel like it is a trend to subvert trends. Meaning like think about a show like Atlanta never watched it absolutely that show will rock your fucking world and okay is is worth watching but like is a show that you cannot put in a box got it and i think like some production companies are now realizing the value of that shows like um what's tim robinson's comedy sketch show i think you should leave now just shows that are almost like absurd almost like the adult swim model think about adult swim or um yeah like all the shows on there i mean truly the wackiest shit you can Mm -hmm. imagine i feel like that's the pendulum all the way on one side and it's like slowly small production companies not small big production companies that are not like fucking netflix or something are actually realizing that there is room for all of this there is room for like the marvel cinematic universe and for these potential just one-offs of like something so i feel like it almost makes sense when I see a new show that I'm just like, "Whoa, that was totally unexpected." When Jokes on You, nothing is unexpected. Yeah. Everything they do is planned down to a T
1: years out. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's like It's like planning the next 3 iPhones.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this is something that I'm like extremely interested in is like the business of movie and film production. Yeah. There's like there are so many things that I think about. One more thing we should, we should talk about. The newest mm-hmm. netflix original the gray man have you heard of this no i mean give it a watch whatever it's basically netflix trying to make their own james bond like thing i wouldn't call it james Bond, but it made headlines because it was the most expensive netflix production to date 200 million dollars it took whoa to make this movie how many episodes it's a movie or oh it's a movie okay. a movie. directed by the russo brothers joe and anthony russo i think that's their names but like As soon as you peel back the layer of the onion, right? We see Mm -hmm. the shell of the onion. Yeah. One layer back and you say, oh, who is the production company? Oh, it's the production company owned by the Russo Brothers. Yeah. Okay. So then you think, okay, the Russo Brothers probably made a fee for directing minimum a million, two million dollars a pop. Minimum. Right. And then you think, okay, their production company are contractors paid by Netflix. Right. They had a hundred million dollar budget okay and then you think mm-hmm. that production company which is a contractor hired out all these other subcontractors it's almost like building a house like right. you have the person who owns the house you have the general contractor you have the subcontractors and everybody has a specialty it's like as soon as you learn who owns each one of these little pieces mm-hmm. it's like oh shit like it's not even that these people are directing. That might be the least of what they're doing. It's that they're actually running a company that is like making this thing and that their name has to be at the masthead at the top. Yeah. Not saying they're not doing anything, but like they're getting paid in so many different ways. Yes. Is what I'm trying to say. And like, that's only, I feel like peeling one layer of the onion back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it's any movie you watch or show you watch or really like a book you read, probably like, has so many layers like that probably not books but like tv shows and movies like what you see is like the one percent of what actually happened
1: dude so your proverbial onion yes just like rotate it 180 degrees and then okay. like peel back the opposite side of the yeah. same onion yeah same onion. that's that's SAS companies <laughs> <laughs> Same more <laughs> i mean like literally today i was you know uh shameless plug Wrapping up the first version of our podcast website, personaleffects.xyz. Called an MVP, <laughs> it's the minimum viable product. But anyways, I'm like, you know, on GitHub hosting this thing with my basic ass HTML site, and GitHub is like this huge infrastructure, and like GitHub's like a small example, but like you know, if your company uses GitHub, they're charging you for all of these quote unquote basic features when you scale up to something like Amazon and like specifically AWS that can literally offer you every single service that like is necessary to run a far reaching tech company, they are the production house and all of their teams are the individual contractors and it's all being managed in service of Jeffrey Bezos, Jeff Bezos.
0: So that's how I came to watching the bear. That's those were the ideas in my head As I was watching this, so this is the point in the episode where we say, okay, spoilers incoming. Yes. If you have not watched the show and you like don't want to get it spoiled, stop listening. What do you think of the show?
1: So I thought the show was fucking amazing. And maybe that's a little overstated because I don't think it's like the best show I've seen all year or anything. Kind of that lofty. But I think for what it is, for how much it impacted me, I, I loved it. Again, this might have been something we talked about before we started, but it's almost like it really did almost feel like the show wasn't about restaurants or working in a restaurant or working in service or any of that. The show was very clearly about this guy who happened to be a chef, world-class, you know, Michelin star, blah, 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 who lost a brother to addiction and was not coping with it effectively. And it's a story of that. At its core, I guess, right? There are other characters whose storylines play into that, but also have their own significance. So I thought that the cast and the ensemble was also executed well. But yeah, it wasn't really about restaurants. Yeah.
0: I think the restaurant was more of a proxy or more of like a like a parking lot for all these folks who were all dealing with their own shit. Like mm-hmm. ma- main character, big time dealing with trauma, cousin dealing with his own version of that you know, same trauma and kind of his own upbringing in life, yeah. Sydney, I feel like many times her family dynamic was alluded to, though, like never gotten into. And also yeah. her, uh, her like catering business. Like she kind of always talks about how like fucked she was after that. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you kind of don't really go into details in that. Mm. Um, and like Tina and the whole crew, like they are dealing with what happened, like the old owner of the restaurant and the main character's brother dying but also have, like, a very specific kind of stance to it, right? Like, they're a couple of degrees removed, and, like, that's Mm -hmm. totally okay,
1: right? All while still being 100% affected by the restaurant changing.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So I feel like the restaurant is, like, proxy for, like...
1: Yeah, it's like a glue that's gluing these different individuals together.
0: Yeah, the inertia of, like, one person's existence on other people and how it has, like, different levels of severity. I liked the show, I thought there were a, a handful of very effective, I, I almost want to call them experiments or like stylistic choices. Are
1: you alluding to the one shot episode?
0: No, I'm. I'm actually okay. alluding to like some of the camera work, meaning they had a lot of scenes where the camera just stayed on one person's face. Uh-huh. And like during the entire conversation did not move. Maybe it zoomed in, but just was like on them. Yeah. And I really like that. Personally, I like that kind mm. of thing, but I also feel like it gives whoever is on screen like room to yeah. emote subtly and to just kind right. of like be. And there were like, I feel like multiple characters had a chance like that. And that was good. Yeah. Um, I think I like the show. I think the downfall mm. is it really straddled the line between being an ensemble show. You know, a show about, say, eight or nine folks. Right. And a show kind of centered around, like, one guy. Tell and me why that
1: could be a downfall.
0: It's a downfall because I'll say two things in the same breath. You don't have the time to dive mm. into people's stories as much as you could, into their backstories, into their current stories. Right. Um, and I will say, like, I also understand that it's short, meaning... They probably realistically wrote more and shot more and probably cut the hell out of it and just edited it down um, or cut whole storylines. But like, you know, for example, the dish crew, you'd never even I don't even think you know their names. Maybe you do from just getting them yelled at or like the guy, the guy who uh, the baker. Why the fuck is he all of a sudden obsessing over this? Honestly, Sydney, who became a pretty mm-hmm. major character, like, you don't really understand what the fuck she's dealing with right. at home. And part of me is just like, that's what I want? Like, that; those are the juicy bits? Like, yeah, some of it can be done in flashback, but the very small morsels you get, for example, of, like, the main character's family when the brother was alive immediately pieces so many things together, And, you know, I think it's a balancing act of, like, you don't want to give too much. Um, But part of me, I felt very unsatisfied at some some of the other supporting characters, like stories. Yeah. And was kind of like, what is this person
1: actually here for? Right. The inclusion of them as a whole unit left something to be desired.
0: That I hope would get shelled out in further seasons or would have gotten shelled out had this show been an hour-long episode. Right. Every episode, right? Like, I don't fault, you know, the writers per se or stuff like that, but it feels like almost a result of whatever situation they were dealing with.
1: Um, You also bring up an interesting point that I think about a lot in just, like, media, like, TV movies in general about, like, flashbacks. And, like, I don't know where I heard this quote or idea, but basically I've heard people say that flashbacks are, like, weak writing, especially when they're, they are superfluous or you're leaning on them. And ever since I heard that, I kind of have agreed with that. Like, I, or I at least have been able to find examples of that. I don't think every flashback is like that, definitely. But as you kind of talk about, like, yeah, they could kind of go over this in a flashback in a season two. I kind of hope they don't. I want the flashbacks for the same reasons you want them. I don't necessarily think that makes it a good decision for the show
0: yeah i'll let me clarify quick i'm not saying i want more flashback but i am saying i want more understanding into where they are okay hold on i've <laughs> damn i have a lot of thoughts on flashbacks yeah totally agree that like in general mm. it's almost too easy to use flashbacks right it's like cheating in a way it's just like it's yeah. like too
1: direct it's like looking back in time and trying to fill in information i think one of the reasons why i'm suspect is that you're not just going backwards looking backwards and coloring in the lines that are already there like you have the option to completely change the lines or draw the lines that they didn't exist like changing the story just for the sake of having the flashback does that make sense mm-hmm. and that doesn't feel like good writing to me or at least in principle
0: mm. i i feel like it also brings up the idea of like what is a flashback when you relate it back to like your singular experience like think about it like you you and i right now mm. can't really have a flashback because a flashback to us is just a replay of a memory right and think about every memory all memories are always degrading mm. and fraying at mm. the seams and bending with time or just simply disappearing right and so i feel like what actually is getting missed I feel like bad flashbacks are flashbacks that are not aware of that, are flashbacks that are so literal and so direct mm-hmm. that it removes the viewer from the experience of like an actual flashback, which is like reliving a memory, but like all of our memories are colored with something. Yeah. And so I feel like effective flashbacks are actually ones that are aware of the fact that a flashback only exists within consciousness and like within memory and therefore like is not clear.
1: I think. And not to bring in a whole other series into this episode, Uh but I think a recent piece of media that kind of does that in that way that you're describing, which was a surprise to me, was the latest season of Stranger Things. Mm. I don't know if if you've watched the show. I haven't seen uh, it. There was a lot of flashback and it was strictly viewed through the lens of a character's memory, meaning the flashbacks were imperfect at first, but you don't know it until the memories were accessed mm. psychologically, so to speak. And I was surprised at how effective it felt.
0: There's, there are a lot of movies that I think of yeah. that are like really totally like wonderful and sort of like, uh, give me one evergreen examples of this. Yeah. Um, my favorite, which is also like probably in my top three movies of all time, if not like my top movie of all time, Okay, um, is a movie from the sixties, maybe late fifties, but I think early sixties by Elaine René, French director. Um, called Hiroshima Mona Moore. Mm-hmm. And it was originally supposed to be a documentary, a co-production between Japan and France about the Hiroshima bombing. And when he got to Hiroshima, he made the decision to make it like a fiction film and have it be a love story about two people, like a French woman and a Japanese man. And it's all... It's the movie is about them after the bombing, but is told sort of through these very like flowy, murky flashbacks before the bombing. And it's extremely evocative and moving. And also the director, Alain Rene actually was a film editor before he was ever a director. And so he is like specifically known for really pioneering a couple of editing techniques, like film editing techniques. Mm. Um, And one of them being cuts back and forth from like present to before he was like one of the first people that ever did that oh. even though it seems really rudimentary now right he was one of the first people who like did that that was not his idea like that idea had fomented uh-huh. but he was the first guy who was like i can do this through editing
1: wow um, like cut
0: back to certain things and then cut forward like in a blink of an eye or something right. like that. right right um, and sorry, peeling back the onion one further. Uh-huh. This movie was written, the screenplay was written by a woman named Marguerite Dura, who is a seriously, was a seriously good author. She's passed, but I've read a ton of her books, and they are all very much like that writing that completely seamlessly goes from the past to the present in, in a matter of words, yeah. right? This kind of like boundaryless moving back and forth. And so powerful force but yeah you should you should watch that movie (laughs) deal
1: speaking of editing or perhaps lack thereof another aspect of the bear that was noted to me as part of the recommendation for me to watch it was the second to last episode had one long entire scene one shot make up pretty much the majority of the episode there's there's a little sequence in the beginning that's kind of like a an intro while some credits roll, I think.
0: Ode to Chicago? Yeah. Yeah, they, that's when they did all the cuts to all the famous...
1: Portillo's, Johnny's, Superdog, yeah.
0: shit like that. Yeah. Um,
1: so yeah, the other than that little intro, it was one shot. And I haven't thought about this particular piece as much, but I was not impressed by that up front. Not watching it, but when I was told about it. It didn't really grab me. Like, maybe they thought it would. The recommendations that I was given... I don't think they grabbed me as much as the recommenders thought it would. Did you know about that one shot before watching? Oh no,
0: no idea. I just went into the episode and I was like, "Oh, nice." What'd you think? Okay, hold on, dumb question. Yeah. I did not even clock. I'm sort of upset at myself that I didn't clock this, but like that it was full on one shot, meaning uncut footage. Was it uncut footage or was it just one scene? like the whole episode took place in almost real time in one scene never changed. I don't remember it being, I thought it was, I might be wrong.
1: Effectively, it was one shot after that little ode to Chicago intro. It was one shot, but I have some things to say about it. One, first thing, not necessarily a demerit uh, because it happens often. There were several moments when if they wanted to put a cut and hide it in editing, they could have, there's one beat where the camera is following Richie moving behind the bar away from the kitchen, kind of following in front of Richie. And the camera swings around him and his back, which is which he had a white shirt on, mm-hmm. his back pretty much covered the entire frame for, I don't know, a few frames. Could have been cut right there. Could have been cut right there. There were a couple other points. That was the most obvious. There were a couple more points that I was like, this might not be a true, quote unquote, true single shot but i don't know i have not looked into that another thing that isn't a demerit by any means but they kind of broke the experience for me is that episode only 20 minutes long in total including super intro. short
0: super short episode
1: so the fact that they still put breaks for commercial cuts like there were still blackouts momentarily where a commercial would have been and i i didn't understand why that was that's why
0: i thought it wasn't a single shot because i remember that
1: so at those moments i was like after the first one happened i was watching really closely i think at those moments they were not cuts like i remember that one of them was like a close-up on carmy's face and it it felt like it was the exact same position pose expression etc yeah so for those reasons not really anything negative to say but just notes on it or um things i noticed In general, though, I didn't find it impressive. I don't think it was like a drag or like, I don't think it took away, but like, I don't know. I was not impressed by the cinematography of that shot. And maybe it's just because like as consumers who are potentially more aware of decisions like this when creating media, it almost seems to put it strongly contrived. Hmm. I can think back to the first time I kind of noticed a single shot scene on my own. And it was uh, a Daredevil, like season two or something. as this big, long scene. Probably also has cuts, so it's like a fake one scene or a fake one shot. But I, but I noticed it, and I had never noticed it in a show before or in a movie or whatever. And I was like, wow, that was, that was sick. The, the effect, I could feel the effect. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel that same effect in episode seven, but I do think the choice to do that was a very appropriate one given the pandemonium happening in the restaurant in the kitchen Mm. at that time i think it's a great choice in terms of mood in terms of the gimmick didn't really affect me though Mm.
0: interesting i feel yeah i'm i'm trying to think like what side am i on because i agree with you like the setting is the episode has immense inertia and is going and going and going and then it boils over and then it keeps going and it just gets worse and worse and worse and the chaos just yeah. gets wider and starts consuming not only the main character, Carmi but like everybody, right? Everybody yeah. interacts with him just going fucking ballistic. Yeah. Multiple, multiple breaking points for the characters. Multiple breaking points. And I feel like if you had wanted to go full chaos mode, you actually would have edited it to be even more percussive and more rhythmic yeah. and more like fucking bombastic. And so yeah. I, I, I do agree with you that it's almost a choice of like restraint To hold back and do it in one shot and let the scene carry Mm -hmm. that energy and rhythm. But I agree with you, sort of, with the end product being like, I don't know if it actually added anything. Like, I didn't, Mm -hmm. I left that episode and was more moved by like the content rather than the style. Yeah, totally. Um, And I also remember watching, like, finishing the episode and being like, wait, that was it? Like, that was like 17 minutes of yeah footage but but then i thought about like how much production design and effort and rehearsal that scene yeah. probably took that's and a like huge take mad effort and then like imagine the amount of time it took to reset yep. probably yeah probably triple the amount of time it took to film
1: yeah maybe i mean they probably they probably shot that more than once i mean theoretically
0: yeah i mean, I mean it'd be pretty cool if it did it one take, but
1: editing, (laughs) editing or cutting aside
0: massive effort.
1: Yeah. One thing that I will give that episode, not necessarily because of the single shot, but something that a single shot that is that long or a scene that is that long, continuous in the timeline. I think that episode, and honestly, a lot of episodes did this, but in this specific case, that episode really felt to me like, I was back working in a kitchen and I've never worked in a, a kitchen where that much chaos is happening. Similar to you cafes, but also like Jimmy John's in general, this show did really take me back to working on a line. And I bet you weren't expecting this to be a takeaway for me. But another thing that really made me think of was marching drum corps mm. for people who don't know. Which at this point, <laughs> this early on in the podcast, I think only our friends are listening, so they know what know what it is. But it's basically like an easy way to think about it is professional marching band. Another way to kind of think about it is like club soccer, but for marching band. And so the reason this made me feel feel the ways that drum corps made me feel is in restaurants, regardless of the work environment. In theory, everyone there is working to achieve a goal of like a good service or a great dish, great meal, great customer experience, et cetera. And it truly is a team effort where it doesn't work unless all of its component parts work together. And maybe you can also apply this to like any kind of musical context, but performing in drum corps with like a lot of people who are all highly driven to do that thing. That's a very similar feeling. And I long for that feeling Mm. specifically in drum corps but seeing and experiencing that feeling again in the context of like watching a show that takes place in a restaurant really makes me want to like go work in service again. Mm-hmm. I had thoughts after that. I was like, "Fuck, I should go take a cooking class or something." I cook at home, but I'm never gonna get like a textbook French cuisine class or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like I could just do that. And then I'm then I'm also thinking, oh, maybe Eli and I will open a restaurant one day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't think I'm a very smart person, but I'm smart enough to never open a restaurant.
1: But you're not saying you don't want to.
0: Exa- yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: When I think about it in terms of like drum corps performing music at a high level, it does seem kind of vain. And it kind of sounds vain to hear me s- talk about it. Because really, at the end of the day, I know that like when you're performing at that level, whether it's some kind of music or some kind of culinary pursuit, More likely than not, you are reaching for acclaim, and it doesn't necessarily mean fame, but the acclaim that comes with someone eating your food and they like it. The acclaim of playing for an audience and getting roaring applause. There's,
0: I think, there's a bit of ego. Yeah, and I I also think it would be unfair to like remove ego from this. Like, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's a bad thing, but like, yeah, hundred percent. There's always a bit of ego involved.
1: Yeah, and that also was. I think very specific to a lot of the stuff that Carmi was going through kind of mentally and emotionally throughout the course of the season. Like, I think it was in the last episode. The last episode started out in that Al-Anon meeting where he walked through basically his whole emotional connection, break of that connection, and inability to deal with that disconnection emotionally from his brother. And in that scene, he describes going to do this thing to prove a point, to prove that you can achieve something that Mm -hmm. great and that's like really it's a really intoxicating feeling that i could really identify with.
0: Yeah, you are a very driven person. <laughs> so that makes sense.
1: What what part do you want to talk about next? Um, i had one more thing that i was thinking
0: of. Okay. Um, but i i'm also getting pretty tired. Yeah. Let's let, I think the perfect segue to talk about the ending is the beginning. Okay. I only reflected on this after having finished the show. I didn't understand the significance of it until i was done and maybe there is no significance of it but mm-hmm. it felt calculated that mm-hmm. the 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 introduction you have to the show episode one you know first couple minutes you know the, the premise you learn is a brother inherits a family restaurant mm-hmm. but like you do not go through any of sort of those classic steps of like watching the person die watching like the family gather at a funeral them reading the will, one person being like, oh, I get the restaurant. And then sort of like even their introduction to the restaurant. Like you almost start like right after. Like you don't even see him Mm -hmm. deal with like accepting the fact that he has a restaurant or dealing with any of the lifestyle changes that he probably had had Mm -hmm. to have made to make that work. Like he already lives in Chicago. He has an apartment. He is working at the restaurant. That's where the show starts. You don't get any of that other stuff yeah. Um, and I thought that was really interesting just getting it's almost just the feeling of like getting thrown in the deep end. Yeah. And um, I feel like that pairs really well with like how sort of a lot of the characters are introed, But especially Sydney is like mm-hmm. she like applies for a job and it's just like, OK, put your apron on. You're at work now. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like it's like your stage is immediate. You yeah. start you start right now. Um. So I thought that was interesting. And I think it ended in a place where I felt like if that beginning made me really hopeful, I I almost felt like less satisfied at the end because like, okay, biggest spoiler of all time. They are under immense money problems. And then all of a sudden, essentially through magic, they just find all the money. Literally they yeah. stumble upon money and it's like, great. Now those problems are just wiped away. And I felt like as quickly as it came, it like wiped everything away of like, yeah obviously like the issues of his unprocessed grief are still going to be there but like it sort of wipes away the pr- yeah. the inherent underlying problems of the restaurant meaning they're extremely strapped for cash and so that's why they're doing all these insane things doing all these right. insane things and i was kind of like it is cool that they found the money and also was like that i don't know it's just like kind of pauses it's like a
1: cheap cheap trick almost
0: yeah it pauses the struggle a little bit um, but I was kind of like, okay, interesting. I liked the ending and was like, Shit, yeah, the show is going to be totally different next season because they're not going to be dealing
1: with this. Right. Maybe I'm going to sound like an idiot and I like missed something. Why do you think the money was in the tomato cans?
0: Oh, I mean, it's not even why it's how did they, at what stage did the money right. get, get inserted? Like <laughs> it had to be the manufacturer because once you open a can, you cannot reclose it. So,
1: so are you approaching this like this was like some fluke accident? No, I'm saying... Okay, but I, why did Mikey have the money in the tomato cans? I mean... Where did that money come from? Where did the money come from? Whose money is it? Who
0: at the supplier or the factory... Okayed that? Put the wads of money in the cans before they got canned? Yeah. The, um, yeah, I mean, like they are going to pay back the big loan they had, right, from Cicero, three hundred and thirty K. Yeah. But what yeah, exactly. What if that money is not theirs to use for that? And what if they sort of yeah. just get get into another hole of like you just swapped out one debt for another, right? Yeah.
1: Do you think I mean I, I feel like that's probably gonna be it, it has to be a sticking a pain yeah. point for the yeah. next season. It also introduces or reminds you maybe of how not in touch, Mikey was with Carmi and just his life in general. Like, did Mikey think through, oh, there's all this money here. He'll be fine. Mm. You know, obviously assuming he's going to find it. Or was that a neglect and it's going to come back to bite Carmi and someone's going to come break his knees.
0: Mm-hmm. Also in closing, what a shitty note to leave someone. Well, I mean, yeah, they had the recipe on the back. But what would the front say? I love you. Like, get in there like or go get it
1: it. let it rip let it rip like i have very little patience for that kind of shit so this reminds me of something i meant to talk about earlier but i'll try to make it quick as a wrap-up another thing that this show really made me feel relive almost was the centrist white chicagoland families very similar to the one that i grew up in big family cousins the inability for the men in these families to express emotions and be attentive to others emotions really hit because that like, I could see all of my, all my uncles that I grew up with, I saw them in Richie, even Mikey in the flashback scenes. Like that was like visceral for me in a way. And Mm. it was this really strange juxtaposition because like in general, The show really made me miss like chicago and like living near there and the thought that that brings into your head is like oh maybe i should go maybe i should go live in chicago go back to this place i've not seriously been to in so long Mm -hmm. but then i see these characters who remind me of the toxic people with all of these toxic characteristics that i grew up around and then i'm like fuck, i can't go back there you could come back yeah i do want that italian beef
0: oh my god I i said we didn't even talk about the xanax episode